Hey guys, welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. Today's message is from our brand new collection of sermons that will go through the book of Revelation. And it's our hope that uh, you will be inspired and encouraged by the truth of God's word today. So here's Pastor Paul, and let's get right into the message. All right, we're in Revelation chapter number three. We're gonna get right into it. So as you know, we're working through the book of Revelation. We're in chapter three right now. And the first part of the book deals with the seven churches of Asia Minor, what was called Asia Minor at that time. These were several literal churches um, that took a letter that was given to them. Uh, so God spoke to John, the apostle John. He was in exile on the island of Patmos. And uh, he got these, this letter and uh, he had it copied seven times. And these seven pastors came to him, received it from him. And then they took it back to their respective churches. Now. As we know and what we've seen so far, um, there are uh, specific things that God said to these specific churches. You say, are these the only seven churches in Asia Minor? Of course not. There were other churches that were there, but for whatever reason, God chose to speak specifically to these churches. And of course, as Christians today, what do we do? We learn a lot from what God said to those churches. These represent really all kinds of different churches from all different ages, uh, but they're applicable today. And that's what I love about the word of God, right? Is that we can apply it today to what we're going through and what we're facing. And so today we continue, and as Julius read there in uh, verse number seven, we are looking at the church of Philadelphia. And so this morning, uh, last week we were at Sardis. And if you were just to go about 40 kilometers southeast from there, you would come to the city of uh, Philadelphia. It was a city uh, that was um, named after the uh, the brother of the guy who founded the city. So there was a guy uh, by the name of uh, uh, Atellus, it was his name, and he had a brother named Eumis, which his brother was the king of Pergamum, which you've already looked at that, uh, that city. But he loved his brother so much, he named this city Philadelphia to represent the love for his brother. He, he and his bro were, were bros. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> they, I mean, they, they were buddies. They were close, uh, you know, and Brandon, you've got a bunch of brothers and I've got a bunch of brothers and my sons have a bunch of brothers. And, uh, you know, it, it'd be great to have that kind of close relationship that you would name a city to represent how much you love your brother. And so uh, that's where the city name came from. And uh, they, it was an interesting spot because uh, from Rome, uh, really it was on the main route from Rome to the east. They called it the gate way to the east. It was also called Little Athens because they had so many different uh, temples that were there. And as well, uh, they were known for this iconic statue. And the iconic statue there in Philadelphia was for this guy named Rocky Balboa. Have you guys heard of him? <laughs> World champ, 1980. I'm joking. That's a, I wasn't sure if anyone would even know, dating myself there. That's Philadelphia in the U.S. Anyway, uh, they were known for a lot of different things, not for that, that, that thing there. But one thing about Philadelphia that was interesting is that it was on a fault line. And so in AD 17, that city plus Sardis plus 10 other cities were absolutely destroyed in a horrendous earthquake. Well, the emperor, Roman emperor at the time was Tiberius and he generously rebuilt the city. And so because of his generosity, they in fact did build a statue to Tiberius uh, that uh, showed their gratitude for his kindness in rebuilding the city. Now, Philadelphia, and like we do every week, we kind of give a little bit of background to it. Philadelphia was a very small city as far as size goes. Compared to the others, it was smaller uh, than, than Pergamum, it was smaller than Uh, Some of these other cities that we've covered, of course. But what we're going to see here is that this was a small city and in fact, a small church. God's going to call it that in a moment, but they had a big impact. And the impact maybe not necessarily was huge there in Philadelphia, but they make a big impact today 
Because like I said earlier, the churches that we're looking at have application to us today, right now in 2021. And so when I say they make a big impact, here's what I'm trying to get across, is that it can have a big impact to us as a church family because of what they represent, because of what God said about them here in these few verses that we're going to look at. The interesting thing about this church is that God says nothing negative about them. That's interesting. Now, if you've been following along in the series, the other churches, right? God will say, hey, I know your works, but I got a problem with you, right? He says that. He says, but I got something against you. But the church in Philadelphia here, we don't see God say anything negative at all about them, which tells us that they were a church that can make a big impact. And not only uh, there in the city, but they can impact us today as we learn from this church. You might say, well, was this a perfect church? Uh, obviously no, right? <laughs> obviously no. Uh, there are no perfect churches, by the way. In case you're wondering, in case you're looking for a perfect church, you're not gonna find it. There's no perfect pastors. There's no perfect people. We're all sinners saved by grace. And we're thankful for that. And we're doing our best to grow in sanctification and grow closer to God. But if there was a church represented in scripture that God who knew all things, didn't say anything negative about, it is this church in Philadelphia, and we can learn a lot from them today. So we begin the study in verse number seven. And, and just like in all of the other uh, descriptions, Jesus, first of all, describes himself. Now remember, back to Revelation chapter number one, verse number 19, we see an outline for the book, which is John is to write about the things that were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. We're in the things that are right now. We're in that section. When we get to chapter four, it's all about things to come, the future. And that's going to be a, a a fun, exciting, intimidating study for us to work through uh, when we do that. But for right now, this is what's happening. This is a real church. And, and, and of course, we've seen Jesus always describes himself in a unique way as he begins to speak to the church. So we see that in verse number seven. I want to see this. It says, and to the angel, the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things saith he that is holy. Now, now Jesus is describing himself, okay? So if you, if you are able to follow along, you can get the, the guide and the notes at citybaptist.ca forward slash worship. You can go there right now and download them if you want. There's notes, you can fill them out. All the scriptures in that worship guide there. But he says here, these things saith he that is holy. Now we already know this is Jesus talking. So now Jesus is describing himself. He that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth that no man shutteth and shutteth that no man openeth. Now this is really interesting because Jesus uh, being the author of these letters always introduces himself with a description that reflects his character. And they almost up until this point have always connected back to the description of Jesus that John saw in that vision. If you remember that back in John chapter number one. And so, or it's not John, sorry, Revelation chapter number one, that vision that he saw of Jesus. And they've always been sort of a, a throwback to that. He talked about his eyes of fire and his, his feet of brass. Of course, all those represented uh, the awesome power of God. But here he describes himself very differently. In fact, we don't see this in the previous description. Some people believe this is sort of like a, it's almost like an Old Testament throwback to describing the Messiah. So first of all, we see here, and I just want to quickly go through how he describes himself. He describes himself as he that is holy. He that is holy. Now this is, this is important for us guys, because we live in a world that tries to diminish the fact that Jesus was in fact God. That's one of the first things that a, a non-Christian, uh, that uh, uh, an atheist tries to attack is they try to attack like there's no way that Jesus was God. They try to uh, paint him in a brush as far as he was just, you know, just some guy. But here we see Jesus saying, he is holy. You see that? He that is holy. Now this is a, a, an attribute that is almost always attributed to God the Father and God the Father alone. 
You remember uh, in Isaiah chapter six, verse number three, the angels cried out and it says that one cried unto another, speaking of heaven and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's a familiar verse. And the angels describe God the Father and they describe him as being holy. But here we see Jesus now saying, he that is holy. So what is that telling us? It is connecting Jesus once again to God, showing us that he is in fact God himself. Now for us, that's important because it tells us we are worshiping God himself. We're not just worshiping some guy who represents God. We are worshiping God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we've got to know that. We have to lock that in our hearts, church. This is so, so important that you as an individual are secure in your belief that Jesus Christ is God. And he says, I am holy. And and for us, that means we're giving our hearts and our lives to the one, the one who is in control of all things, the sovereign God, uh, 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 the controller of the universe, the holy God himself. And in fact, because he is holy, he also demands that we pursue holiness as well. I, I don't want to forget mentioning 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, or 1, verse 15, uh, 1 Peter 1, 15, that says that as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manners of conversation. That's your whole life. He says, as, as we serve the one who is holy, we also need to pursue holiness. Holiness is the absence of sin. Of course, we know that. And we know as, as humans, we're not going to ever attain that sinless perfection. We are to pursue it. We're to go after it. But the holiness that's described here is also an active holiness. It's the idea of it's, it's putting it into action into our lives. And for us, that's what we should be doing. We should be pursuing holiness as Christians. And so here we see Jesus is holy, but he also says he that is true. That's the Greek word uh, alethinos. It means true as opposed to false. It's like, okay, this is the real deal. Jesus is genuine. He is, he is the real thing. You know, if you've ever had generic brand cereal, right? man, thumbs down. It is the worst. You're like, my mom used to try to sneak that in there. And it's not, you know, it's not Captain Crunch. It's like, I don't know. (laughs) So it's just had the word crunch in it. Right. But it didn't taste anything like it. It kind of just, now, if you grew up on generic cereal, like my wife, the genuine tastes terrible uh, to her. She's like, I can't handle it. I need some good generic big bag, you know, this big. And, and uh, we differ on that. And that's okay in life to have differing opinions. But uh, you know what I mean is it's got to be genuine. It's got to be the real thing here. And that's what he says here. Jesus is true. He's genuine. He is real. He is living. He is true. And there is none else. Every God in this world that people worship, whether it's an actual supposed deity or some sort of prophet or whether it's their money, those are all false idols. Those are, those, are, those are not genuine. They are not real. And as Christians, what it tells us and why it's important that he's the real deal is that we recognize him that he's not just some far off God up in space somewhere that we have no connection to. He's not just some, you know, uh, totally disconnected from us. He's not unknown. He is actually who he says he is. And that means we can be close to him. See, God does not hate us. God does not push us away from us. He loves us and he's revealed himself to us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is true, which is so, so important. John chapter one, verse 14 tells us that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the word? That's Jesus Christ. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus or God sent Jesus to this earth 
to bring the truth to us and we worship him in spirit and in truth. He is the focus of all that we do. And it's the, the reason he is, is because he is genuine. He is real. But look at the other description of him here. It says that he has the key of David. Did you see that in there? You're like, how in the world, like, what does this mean? Isn't it great in scripture, you read these things, you're like, I have no idea what this means. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna try to dig out what it is. It says that he has the keys of David that opens and shuts and shuts and opens and no man can open or shut whatever the opposite it is that he has done. That's kind of a interesting way to describe yourself, you know? What do you do? I am the key and everything I open, you know, no one can shut and everything I shut, no one can open. That's interesting. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's connected to an Old Testament event, by the way. And a lot of times in the New Testament, if there's a reference to something and you're like, I have no idea what this means, there's almost always an Old Testament connection that you can go in and begin to understand and see what it means. And so in the Old Testament, in the book of um, Isaiah, uh, we hear about a king by the name of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a, a powerful king and he put one of his servants in charge in a very, very unique way. The guy's name uh, was Eliakim and he was a personal secretary to King Hezekiah. And what happened is that Hezekiah trusted him so much that he literally gave him the keys to the city. You know, you hear about that. Somebody gets honored, they get the key to the city. Of course, it doesn't really do anything, you know. Uh, but in this case, he literally had the ability to keep people out or the ability to let people in. And it was this servant alone and particularly the court of the king. So the inner court, nobody got into the king's court except they went through Eliakim. Isaiah 22, 22 says, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his Eliakim shoulder. Now there it is, the house of David. You see that there. And, and he says, so he shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. That's very, that seems very similar to what we were just reading in Revelation chapter three. And so this is where we get this, this uh, idea from. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, I'm of the line of, of David. I'm the Messiah. I am the one who, who, who came from where I said I would come from. And I hold the keys just like Eliakim of old. I hold the key and nobody can get in and nobody can get out unless I say so. You say, well, what does that mean for us? Here's what it means for us. The key of David is a symbol of authority. It again reminds us that Jesus alone is the one who has, is the access to heaven. He is the one who has the access. He determines. Remember, he said, no one comes to the Father but by what? Say it, by me. Nobody comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And so that deals with the authority that Jesus has, again, equating him with God the Father himself. And here's the cool thing about it. This is the same God that we serve today. This is all a description for us to remind us of who Jesus is. Listen, if you're a Christian and you have a hard time getting excited about the descriptions of Christ, let's give your head a shake. We ought to get excited about this. You say, oh, okay, this is great, okay, this is great. This is Jesus, our savior, the one we put our trust in. And he says, I've got the keys, I'm true, I am holy, I've got this. And he is in control. That's really what we understand out of this, this term. God and Jesus is the one that is in control. And so this God that is described in verse number seven, this one that is true, that is holy, uh, and all of these other attributes that we see about God, that we understand about Jesus Christ, that he holds within himself, he is the one who looks at the church in Philadelphia and doesn't find anything wrong. That's interesting to me. That's really, really powerful to me. And so he describes himself in this way. And then he begins to speak then specifically to the church in Philadelphia. So point number one, if you're taking notes or if you got your notes there, Point number one, I want us to see how Jesus takes notice. Jesus takes notice. Look at verse number eight. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. What do you know? There, that's again, another reference. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied 
my name. This is really interesting. Of course, we know Jesus in all of the churches says, I know your works. And the word know there is so important because it means not only does he see what we do, but he knows the heart behind it. And that's important to remember. Jesus knows our hearts. Remember, we just did that whole series on Wednesday nights on motivations and spiritual motivations because God does in fact see the heart. And so when he looks at this church in Philadelphia, he says, I see, I really know what's going on here. It's not just on the surface. Remember Sardis, it had a name that was alive, but in fact was dead. Jesus knew that. But in this church, he sees them and he says, I see your works. I know uh, what you're doing here. And then he mentions a couple of things. First of all, he says that they were a church that had an open door set before them by God. Did you see that there? He says, I've set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. This is again a reminder, God's in control. And for this church, he had opened a door for them that no person was gonna shut, no matter what, God was in control. And he gave them really, he, he, he commended them because he says that you went then and you had this open door uh, right there before you. Man, I'm thankful today that I serve a God who opens doors for his people. He opens doors for his people. Yeah. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you would recognize if you were to be introspective and really look at your life, you would see how God has opened doors. As a church family, just in the few years that we've been in existence, God has opened up many doors in, with individuals, uh, with us as a church. This is an open door right here, thanks to Sally. So thank you, Sally. Sally hooked us up with this spot right here. Yeah, she owns the whole building. Yeah, thank you. Um, no. She works here and, and hooked us up and, and man, that's an open door and God provided it for us and, and all this is great, but that's beside the point. That wasn't actually in here, but thank you, Sally. That's great. That works great. <laughs> but we know what open doors look like. And, and to this church, he says, I've opened up a door before you. And the assumption is, is that they took it. They followed through. They went through with what God wanted them to do. For us today, God opens up a lot of doors for us. Uh, whether it's an answered prayer, an opportunity to witness to somebody, an opportunity to serve. I think sometimes in the church, you know, if somebody says, hey, why don't you help serve in this ministry or help get involved? We're always like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know what? That might be God opening a door for you to minister to people and to connect with people and make a difference in their lives. And so God opens different doors. And for us as Christians, we know when the door is open, we should take that step. No matter where you are in your Christian life. Notice how he says here, your strength is small. Do you see that? That doesn't mean that, you know, they didn't have a lot of money or anything. I mean, it could mean those things but it actually gives the idea of, of small in size. So what we understand about this church is that they were more than likely a very small church, yet God says, I still open up a door for you to walk through and to make a difference. God gave them a chance to bring him glory just like he does for us. One thing I want us to understand church is that if God's opening a door, you should just go through it. God's doors are always good doors. <laughs> They're not, you know, you don't open up and be like, oh man, and close it and back up. It's a good thing if God has called you and God has led you to a certain place. And uh, I was just thinking about it uh, a little bit this week about open doors that we've had. You know, we've been in a rough, uh, not rough, just a different year, right? Different year, totally different year and a half now that we've ever expected. But yet, as I look back and, and think a little bit, I was able to identify some open doors that God has given us as a church some doors that God opened for me individually and for our family that God made possible. And I believe it's because of the unique situation we're in. And I'm so thankful that we as a church took those steps. I'm so thankful for many of you who took steps forward in your walk with God during this time and grew uh, closer to him. And uh, I'm, I was thinking about the opportunities we've had for our message to be spread uh, more than ever before, how we were kind of thrown into the live stream and, and all of the things that have happened we've had to develop and how God has uh, used that in a special way. But for all of us, regardless of what it is, we should be like this church that when they have an open door, we just go for it. 
Uh, there's a missionary that was martyred for his faith by the name of Jim Elliot. And he said this, he said, wherever you are, be all there. I love that. That'd be a great thing to write on your mirror or something, you know, wherever you are, just be all there, be connected. Uh, dads, be connected at home when you're there. That's, a, that's for me, by the way, but uh, other dads in here, uh, that's for, uh, be there, be connected. But he says, live to the hilt. That's the idea of like full bore every situation you believe to be the will of God. When God opens doors, you just, just go for it and be all there and be connected to the Lord in this way. And this church here was taking advantage uh, of the open door, but specifically in the verse, notice there that they uh, had a decision to keep his word and not deny his name. Did you see that? He said, I've given you an open door and you kept my word and you did not deny my name. The challenge in that day, of course, was to deny the name of Christ. Uh, you were to proclaim Caesar as Lord. You were to uh, proclaim your, uh, your guild, uh, God as your God. And he says, listen, they did not deny the Lord. They did not deny his name. They kept his word. Uh, of course, we know Jews uh, were attacking them as well, but they stayed faithful. They continued on. And what a great lesson for us as a church, just to stay faithful. Listen, you today stay faithful in your walk with God. As an individual, just stay faithful. You are gonna face attacks you're gonna face attacks. Some of you are maybe under attack right now as a believer. You're gonna face those uh, people that do not hold uh, our viewpoint, people that attack uh, a biblical worldview. Even in our society, there are religious denominations that attack the word of God, that attack the name of Christ, that deny who he truly is. And yet we as believers must remember what Jesus said in John 14, 21, where he says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself. That means I will reveal myself to him. God will reveal himself to those who keep and follow and, and pursue his commandments. God reveals himself to those who love him and keep his commandments. We cannot deceive ourselves, church family, into thinking that we can just pick and choose. Now, I know there's not a lot of buffets around Vancouver anymore, but when I was a kid, man, Uncle Willie's was the place to be. I mean, okay, all right, Uncle Will, <laughs> to make some of you don't know, and Foodie Goody, right? That was the other one, uh, also called food poisoning. But uh, that one, but as a kid, we go to, um, we go to uh, Uncle Willie's, which I believe is still in existence over at Metrotown. And I mean, where else can you have fried chicken, mashed potatoes, tapioca pudding, and a piece of pie all in the same plate, you know? And as a kid, I love that, you know? And I would just eat horribly. Oh, and, and soft serve ice cream. I mean, all you could eat. And, and what I love about those, I could go and I could just pick and choose whatever I was feeling like that day. But that's, we can't approach the word of God that way. We cannot approach the word of God with a pick and choose. I like this part about God. I really don't like this part about God. So I'm just not even going to believe it or follow it. No, we are to complete, uh, keep his commandments, his word. That's why he gave it to us. And so remember, God looks at our heart and he knows how we are actually following him. And to this church, he says, you guys have kept my word. You've uh, not denied my name. And he commends them for that. And he takes notice of those traits of the church there in Philadelphia. But he continues by giving us then some hope. So point number two, we see Jesus gives hope. So first of all, he takes notice. He sees that they're, they're being faithful and that's great. And that's really what we identify the Philadelphia church as, as being a faithful church. But then we see here how Jesus gives hope. Look at verse number nine. He says, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. Now this is very familiar to us from the church in Smyrna. Remember, he says, I'll make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now we know that there were pockets of Jews 
uh, there in that city as they were in most places in Asia Minor. And they had these synagogues. And of course, anyone who believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the the come son of God, uh, they ridiculed them. They would not allow them to come to the synagogue. And Jesus describes those Jews here who had not accepted and received him as the Messiah. And so in in essence, they were deceived. They were still believing in the old ways. They did not recognize uh, that the law had been fulfilled in Christ. And so he calls them and he says, you are of the synagogue of Satan. Man, that's pretty harsh. I've never used that in my personal life, by the way. I've never been like, you are the spawn of Satan. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. But God says, you are, you, you Jews, you say you are real Jews. You say that you have the truth. Remember, the Jews were the ones who were to uphold the truth. I mean, in the Old Testament, as we see, they were that representation of the truth of, of, the, of, the, of God. Other nations were to come to them and to learn about God. But now they say, oh yeah, we are true. But in fact, they were not. So he calls them and he says, you are of the synagogue of Satan. And that's pretty strong. He considered them not even to be real Jews because they rejected the Messiah. And so because of that, they were resisting the truth. And so he identified them as Satan for their opposition of the gospel. And then Jesus says here that he was going to make them come and worship at their feet. Did you see that? He says, they are of the synagogue of Satan. They're not real. But look what he says there. He says, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now, this is really interesting here. Uh, now, do we, we don't really know if this was an actual event. Like if something happened in Philadelphia, some major like actual event where that in the synagogue came and they worship somehow at the feet of, uh, of, those, of those believers. I, I don't believe that necessarily was an actual event that happened. But I believe what Jesus is saying here, remember the, the title is he's giving them hope. And that's what I think he was doing. He was giving them hope as, in, as a church. He's saying, listen, one day I'm gonna make all things right, is what he's saying. One day you, Christian, will be vindicated. You know, for us, we know that day's gonna come when Christ returns. I can't wait for that day. Because in the meantime, and it's tough, isn't it? It's tough when you go through that rejection. Some of you I know have family that have rejected you, that, that minimize their time with you because you're Christians. Uh, maybe there's somebody at work who their tone is always condescending to you and you deal with that aspect. What he's trying to say here is that rather than lashing out, which by the way is not following the commandments of God, just wait, just wait. Because it says one day they will all recognize, and I love what he says at the end, Jesus says, they'll all recognize that I love you, that you are, that you are right. In other words, you will be vindicated. You will be vindicated. And those that did not trust in God, they will recognize the error of their ways. They will see that. And then God will declare, he will proclaim his love for us in front of them. Man, that's amazing to think about. As hard as it is sometimes to go through that rejection, as hard as it is to have people at your workplace or in your family that that are so openly against God and against you because you love God. It's amazing to think that one day they will recognize and you will be vindicated because of Jesus Christ. To me, that's pretty amazing. I was thinking about a couple of connecting, connecting stories in scripture and I had to think about Joseph and his brothers. You know, Joseph that, you know, his, he, he had a dream from God and says, one day you're all gonna bow down to me and they mocked him and it created such a problem that they eventually tried to kill him, but God spared his life. And years later, you remember that whole story when those brothers were there and Joseph sent everyone out. He's now in Egypt, he's ruling the whole land and he sent everybody out and he revealed himself to his brothers, the ones that they had given worship to him. They had bowed down before him and he was vindicated at that moment 
before their eyes. I was thinking about uh, Haman, the story of Haman and Mordecai in the book of Esther. Remember, Haman was trying to kill Mordecai. He wanted to eliminate the Jews. And what did God do in his sovereignty and amazing power? He ended up uh, from a situation that happened years before. Haman, the one trying to kill Mordecai the Jew, ended up having to walk in front of him, in front of the whole town and say, this is Mordecai who the king delights to honor. You remember that story? And he had to humble himself and pay obeisance to him and was, was, was humbled and vindicated. Mordecai then was vindicated in that situation. In each of those stories, the reason I share them with you is because in each of those, the hand of God's judgment, the hand of God's vindication was very long in coming, wasn't it? It did not happen right away. Now we want to be vindicated right away, right? We, we have a problem. We just want to fire up Facebook because we are going to let it burn, right? We're going to scorch earth this person. We're going to bring some heat on our Instagram account and there's going to be some, I mean, negative emojis. <laughs> there's going to be some, I mean, we're going to just, we're going to tear them up. We know this thing about them. And, okay. Listen, God is the judge, isn't he? (laughs) He is the one who ultimately uh, will vindicate his people. And we see here this hope that's given to that church. And listen, it's a hope that's given to us today because we're in a time where what we are doing, having church, even like this, is not really looked, looked upon with a lot of favor, regardless of whether or not it's COVID or not. The church in Vancouver is, is, uh, is, is not highly regarded. That's been made clear, certainly. But you know what? Ultimately, God is under control. Even our enemies are under God's control. And that's what we have to recognize, his control in all of this. There's another area of hope that's given to us, though, in verse number 10 and 11. Jesus said, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. There's some key phrases in there. And then he says, behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast. This is an encouragement. Hold fast to what thou hast, what you've been doing, that no man take thy crown. That, I'm just going to cover that phrase real quickly because I'm not going to go too much in depth with it where he says, no man take thy crown. We know that there's rewards, right? For serving the Lord. He says, keep doing what you're doing. Don't step back so that another person may come in and serve Uh, in that position or serve in that way that you are doing. I would encourage you with that. The ways that God has called you to, the way that you are serving the Lord, stay strong in that, continue it on, continue it on. God has a work to do and he wants to use you to do it. So stay strong. But look at the hope here that he gives them. I will keep you from the hour of temptation. He talks about an hour of temptation that's gonna come upon the whole world and try the whole world. The word there, temptation, is also used trial, difficulty. Um, and, and, and there's this event that he talks about here. Notice how he says an hour, meaning it has a, a specific time frame. It's going to have a beginning and it's going to have an end to it. And he says, there's a specific thing that's coming that is going to try the world. He says, those that dwell upon the earth. So uh, comes upon the world and try them, meaning it's going to come and prove them. It's going to come and sort things out is what he's trying to say. So the question is, well, what event is this? What event is going to come into the whole world that's going to try the entire world, that's going to bring, uh, 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 bring this hour of temptation, this difficulty? Well, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself because we're going to cover this, but this would be dealing with the tribulation, the seven-year period of God bringing judgment and trying upon the earth. It has a beginning and it has an end. It's a definitive time frame that we know about. Now, here's what God is saying to them. And here's the hope that I want to I share with you today. This is what's so uh, amazing here. He says, I will keep you. Did you see that there? I will keep the church. He's speaking to the church. 
I'm going to keep you from that hour, that time of trial. I'm going to keep you from that judgment of God that is to come. That time, of course, we know from, from Revelation uh, that the Antichrist is going to be revealed. We know there's going to be that uh, unification of mankind into that one world government, the one world religion, and of course, all around their rebellion against God. And that's going to be revealed in a great way. But here's the good news that I want us to be encouraged with. If that is to happen in our lifetime, which I believe that it's going to, that time of that seven-year tribulation where God pours out his judgment and his wrath upon the earth, should that happen in our lifetime, according to God's promise to the church, you won't be a part of that. Now, this is a verse, one verse, for the basis of what we call a pre-tribulation rapture position. And this is, this is a position that we as a, we as a church hold. And we're going to get into this in depth uh, later on. Uh, I just want to share a couple of verses with you though. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nine tells us, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the idea that when God pours out his wrath upon the earth to judge mankind, we as believers are not appointed unto that wrath. Later on in first Thessalonians four, uh, he says, for the Lord himself, this is where we get the idea of the rapture from, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's harpazo. That is the word that we get rapture from. We'll be caught up together with them. Who's them? With those that are the dead. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's a defining term as well too. And it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Again, what I'm trying to get to us here is he's saying, and this is the hope that we have church. Because unfortunately there are some people who believe that, oh, as Christians, we're going to go through God's pouring out of his wrath upon the earth. I, I, I do not see that in scripture. In fact, there's so many, how many other uh, illustrations besides the other passages, there's a lot of illustrations throughout scripture. Think of the ark, God saving the remnant of his people from his judgment. I mean, there's, there's multiple times where we see God pulling his people away from his judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, others that were there where God saved his people and rescued his people and caught us away. And so what he says here, he says, I want you to take heart and have hope that you're not gonna go through that hour of trial, that definitive time, you are not gonna be going through that. And to me, that again is a reminder that God is under control. And so we can take hope in that. We don't have to live in fear. You know, some, I, I was talking with somebody the, the other day and they're like, oh man, we are in the tribulation. This is what they said to me. I was like, which year? <laughs> you know, like, and they're like, oh yeah, for sure. Like, this is it. And, 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 you know, of course for them, they kind of go underground and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to survive this thing. But listen, I believe that God is going to rapture his church. He's going to call us away. That's why else would he preserve 144,000 Jews later on to witness and to reach Gentiles during that time? People will be saved during that time. We know that. But his church, he says, he will keep us from that. And we're going we're gonna to dig into that as we get into uh, chapter four uh, through the rest of the book, certainly. But we don't have to fear what is to come. That's what I want to encourage you with. We don't have to fear. Uh, we, we don't have to worry and, and be constantly trying to connect it into what's happening in, uh, you know, on cbc.ca today. We, gotta, we can trust God in this sense. God is in control. And so because of that, because we know we're caught up, we can live in expectation of his return and we can have some hope. And Jesus gives this church hope today. So thirdly, let's finish out here the passage. Jesus makes a promise. Number three, I, I got really creative with my uh, points today. <laughs> so Jesus uh, takes notice, he gives hope. And now he makes a promise in verse number 12. 
This is really cool. He says, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall no more go out and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God and I will write upon him my new name. Now this is, this is really, really great. An overcomer, as we know, is a true believer. We've seen that throughout the study. So he says to those that overcome it, the true believers, those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I will make them a pillar in the temple of God. And, and that conjures up a weird mental image, you know, like statues of pillars. Obviously you recognize that's a, a, a figurative thing here. He's saying you are gonna have a, a stable position with me. Now, now to, a, to a church and to a place that was going through a ton of earthquakes all the time, to say that you're a pillar, that you're firm. In fact, uh, it's interesting, uh, historically in that city, uh, though much of it was destroyed, there were pillars all throughout the city that remained, that actually survived. And for a time when there was aftershocks that were constantly coming, the people would make houses and homes around these large pillars uh, so that they would be protected from the other earthquakes that would happen. It's kind of an interesting uh, historical aspect of it there. But he says to them, you're gonna be a pillar. You're gonna uh, be permanent. You're gonna be stable. It reminds me of John 14, 1, 3, where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he said this, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's the promise. And I will receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. He gives them this promise. He says, you are gonna be stable. You are gonna be eternally identified with the heavenly father. Do you see how it says that he will uh, write his name on us? And then it says a, a new name. There's a new name. There's a passage uh, later on in Revelation 19 and Revelation 22 that talks about Jesus has a new name. It doesn't say what it is though. You can guess. You can maybe ask him when you get up to heaven or something. But there's a new name. I, I, don't, I have no idea what it is. But he says that it's going to be on us. Like we're going to know and people will know that we are his. But the point that I believe Jesus is trying to make here is he's just given us some good promises of stability. <laughs> he's reminding us that our home in heaven is secure. Our citizenship is in heaven. Even though we live here in the, on this earth, our citizenship ultimately is with God and we can have a special relationship with him and one day we'll rule and reign in that new Jerusalem during that millennial kingdom. God's future kingdom is gonna be an amazing thing. It's gonna be a place of purity. It's gonna be a place of newness like we have never experienced. And he promises us, he says that you will be with me through that. To me, that is such an encouraging promise. Verse number 13, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. He ends every single section with that. So the church in Philadelphia, let's kind of just do a quick wrap up and then we'll, we'll finish up today. Church in Philadelphia was a faithful church. They were a church that walked through uh, the open doors that God had for them. And to that church, God says, I will declare my love for you. I will secure you. You will last he also reveals to us that he is the holy, true, sovereign, omnipotent, uh, uh, I can't even say the word, <laughs> omnipotent, I'm sorry, God that pours out his blessings on churches. He, he, he is all of these things and he will bless those who have those open doors. For us, we have an open door of evangelism as a church. We have an open door individually to share the gospel. And Jesus is saying here that, man, church, you are secure in that. You are secure in that. You can have that promise. And this church in Philadelphia was a faithful, faithful church that just revealed their love through their faithfulness to God. And God says, I got you. I got you. You're, you're gonna be a pillar. You're, you're secure in our relationship. I know who are mine. 
You know, the sheep know, the shepherd knows whose sheep are his. And he says that, and he's, he's securing them and he's encouraging them. You know, my prayer for us as a church, as we look at this, this church that just has nothing said wrong about them, is that we would be that same kind of church. And, and to boil it all down, it's just, we need to be a faithful church. We need to not deny the name of Christ. We need to hold fast to the word, even when it doesn't line up with what everybody else is saying. We need to hold fast to that. We need to stay true. And then when God opens doors, we need to just take them. We should not, and what that tells me is that we should not be sitting back and just be comfortable with what God has given us. Man, we are so blessed as a church. Compared to the churches and nations around the world, we are such a blessed church. Even we're having church in a garage and we're blessed, more blessed than many. And that we would not just sit back and be like, ah, you know, we got this, everything's okay. I'm just gonna ride it out till Jesus comes back. No, if there's a door of opportunity, we need to take it. We need to still be pushing forward and moving faithful. God says, if he opens that door, nobody's gonna shut it. And so we can trust that if he leads us in something, he's gonna, he's gonna walk with us through it. And I wanna be a church that's willing to move forward. Recognize that God's hand of protection is upon us. Listen, church, Jesus is coming soon. I believe it. He is, he's coming soon. We must take advantage of these final days and months and years that God gives to us, however long it is. And even if he doesn't come back in our lifetime, you're not gonna look back as a, as a, as a 65 year old or 80 year old and look back and say, ah, oh, man, I wish I hadn't served the Lord. No, <laughs> you could always be thankful and grateful and never regret anything that you do for the Lord. So let's be a faithful church. Let's learn. Let's learn from this church family. This small church in a, in a, in a difficult small city but yet God says, you're faithful, you're faithful, you're faithful. Let's be a faithful church. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning for a time of reflection. And um, I just wanna ask you a couple questions and then we'll take a time together of prayer. And I wanna ask you, are you remaining faithful? Are you remaining faithful? Those of you that are watching online today, are you remaining faithful today? Are you faithful? Have you been straying a bit back and forth? It's a great question to ask yourself. Say, am I faithful, Lord? God will reveal to you whether or not you are. And sometimes it's just little things, you know, here and there. Maybe we fall away from our walk with the Lord. Maybe it's our devotional life or our actions, the words, the way we talk. There's all so many different areas that sometimes we stray from. And I want to encourage you just to be faithful to the Lord. Ask God, say, God, would you help me to be faithful? Maybe right now you're facing a door of opportunity that that you're pretty sure it's of the Lord. You're not sure though. Maybe it's an opportunity to share your faith or an opportunity to connect with somebody in a meaningful way or it's a door though that God is specially open for you, but you're hesitant. You're not sure. I'd encourage you to maybe to walk through that door. Trust that God, if you are in this, if, you've, if you know for sure God has opened this door for me, then go through it with boldness. Go through it with boldness. You know, this church is such a great example to us of a group of saved believers, individuals that are secure in their relationship with Christ. And, and I wanna ask this today, if, if maybe you're here or you're watching and you're not secure in your relationship with Christ, you've not had that moment where you put your faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone and in nothing else for your salvation. You're still trusting in your good works. You're still trusting in your family heritage. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about your trusting and belief in his sacrifice for you. If you've not been saved, I ask you, would you make that decision today? 
We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.